This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 81 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Ward Bell. Hello. I'm Charles Max Wood from DevChat.tv. This week, we have a special guest, and that is Peter Bacon Darwin. Hi, it's nice to see you or hear from you. I don't think we've talked to you since Angular Connect. Do you want to give a brief introduction? Sure. So I'm currently the Angular 1 branch of the Angular project. I'm on the lead developer on that. I've been running that small team of uh, highly capable guys for about 12 months now. And I'm also uh, one of the co-organizers of Angular Connect, which is uh, taking up a, a good part of my time at the moment, too. I think what our audience really wants to know, Peter, is what do you have to do with bacon? (laughs) (laughs) Or Darwin. So bacon is all due to my wife. She's the bacon. She brings home the bacon and she also puts bacon into her uh, surname. So uh, when we decided to uh, get married, she was going to keep the bacon because that was her working name. So I said, hey, I'm a new age man. I'm going to take your name instead. So we both double barreled up. And that's, just, what, that's what brought in the Darwin, the, you know, evolution of things. <laughs> well, that would be good, wouldn't it? So I'm the Darwin, she's the bacon, and uh, we're a highly scientific named family. Well, I think that's all uh, we have time for today. Thank you very much for coming <laughs> on that. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So I have to ask, is she bacon Darwin as well, or is she Darwin bacon? So she's bacon Darwin. Okay. Apparently, it's some kind of Spanish thing where you add... The, the female adds the male surname onto the end of her name. Okay. Uh, without a hyphen, just to confuse things. So everyone thinks Bacon is my middle name, and I just like putting my middle name down. When, uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we did bring you on to talk about Angular 1.5. Cool. Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, we've got it out the door. Angular 1.5.0 was released on Friday. 
to great fanfare and uh, pretty good reception from the uh, community as far as I can see. So I guess what I'm wondering then is uh, what is in the changelog, so to speak? Yeah, so uh, we've got a pretty good blog post that we put up on angularjs.blogspot.com, which I think you can also get to from uh, blog.angularjs.org. And this lists out some of the new stuff. The main theme of this 1.5 release from the start, I think it started in May when we started actually working on 1.5, was to bring people closer to Angular 2 so that when and if and when you finally move over to Angular 2, then it's not going to be such a big jump. So we've been implementing a few nice features. Um, a big area that we've been looking at is making it easier to create component-style directives. Um, we see component directives as the as the building blocks of Angular 2 applications, and um, we wanted to encourage people to do the same in Angular 1. So we've created a new component helper, um, which means you can register component directives on a module uh, with uh, far fewer keystrokes. Um, and we set up some pretty good conventions and defaults to get you close to a component without having to type too much. Um, and then uh, in order to support that, we've had to add in a few extra things which actually happen to fit nicely with uh, Angular 2. So, for instance, we've got this uh, new dollar on init lifecycle hook, which gets called after your control of your component is uh, fully up and running and has all its bindings in place and so on. And this happens to fit nicely with Angular 2, which has uh, the uh, ng on init uh, hook. We were just talking yesterday about maybe adding a few other hooks in uh, in line with the Angular 2 lifecycle process as well. So you could watch this space for some more. One of the other things that's really nice, in the old days, in order to uh, require in a directive that's one of your ancestors, you would have to uh, use a link function, uh, which would then have the controllers injected into it. But now you can actually specify that you want to have those bound directly to your controller. So you don't need to have a link function in order to get access to those. Um, and if you're using bind controller, uh, the bindings for both the attributes on your component and the parent directives will all appear on your controller ready to be used. So I think you're going to get have a much much more sort of ergonomic style of coding going forward. Is it your feeling that people will prefer to actually write in this style going forward just because it's an easier way also to write Angular 1 straight up? I have to say, from my own experience, it's, it's an absolute joy to use these um, helpers. Um, since we've released this, I've, I've been putting out a few samples. I've been, uh, we can talk about this a bit later, but I've been working on the component router or router, as uh, British people like to say, uh, version of the component router for Angular 1 and writing apps using that router and using this component helper are so much cleaner and easier to follow. And to, it's just a really nice way of writing. So I think people are going to really embrace this and enjoy doing it. And I'm, am, I uh, am I still creating that crazy um, thing there with the, uh, the scoping, the local scoping and all of that? Jazz that you have to do in Angular One is that still part of the interface, or does that sort of subside and you just it's hidden under the covers? So with a component helper defined directive, we specify that it has to be uh, an isolated scope by default, and instead of uh, creating a scope property on your directive definition object, which is what you would do previously, uh, we have a simple property called bindings, and this is also an object in the same style as the scope object was. But these bindings are going to be bound to your controller now by default. So you don't interact with the scope at all in this new way of uh, working with the 
component directives. So the scope is basically just pushed to the side, brushed under the carpet. Everything's about the controller now. And, you, and if you're looking at Angular 2 and comparing, you can think of the controller being the actual class that you would have in Angular 2, which is then decorated as a component. So you've still got that declaration in there, and it looks very similar in the way that it has the, the little equal signs. And it has I was wondering if the on. equals and the ads and yeah. all that stuff is still there. It's still there, and in fact, we've even added to it. Oh my. We've, we've just created a, a new uh, binding called one-way binding, which allows changes from the outside of the components come in, but if you change the value on the inside, it doesn't propagate that back out. And this means that the watching is slightly less complicated, so it could be a performance benefit. Um, but also it encourages you to uh, have the outward bound flow of information done through events rather than um, two-way binding, which uh, everyone's view is, is a safer and more rockable way of writing out. Well, and it's also aligned with uh, Angular 2, so, so there'll be a more natural translation, like I could sort of look at my scope thing and say, oh, well, that's going to become an input in, in Angular 2, that's going to become an output in Angular 2, that's going to be an attribute assignment, so I won't have the... Precisely, It'll yeah. be the first time. So we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to set up um, an arrangement in Angular 1 where the mental jump it's going to be small as possible. There's always going to be a syntactic jump, but if the mental jump is small, then the syntactic jump is pretty straightforward. Right. And could possibly even be automated with a tool. So where does one uh, get style advice on this? I, I, I wish, is John with us? Not yet. Not yet. So the, this, this should change the way, the style in which people develop their code. Well, in many ways, the um, component helper is actually driven by the styles. And in fact, I think if you look back in GitHub, it was John Papa's issue where he suggested this helper, um, which triggered a lot of the development. So although the component helper is a new thing, it's basically encouraging people to follow the guidelines that John's been sort of promoting over the last couple of years anyway. So if you were following his guidelines already, then you could um, refactor your code to use component helper without having to really change any of the fundamental uh, code that you've written, but it would just make your code cleaner and simpler. That being said, people who've read John's guidelines will know that it mentions this thing called VM, uh, which is the name that he suggests you could use for labeling the controller inside your template. So when you're in your template and you want to access the controller, you need to use some property of the scope. And There was a vote about that, about what to change that name. Exactly. Wasn't so, uh, although, and you stacked the vote, didn't you? Large numbers of people in the community currently use VM. We weren't 100% sure that it was the right term. And to be completely transparent and fair, we asked members of the community to, to vote in GitHub. You rigged the vote. And we even tweeted about it and asked, tried to publish this as much as possible. Uh, and as many people uh, who voted, it was unambiguously in favor of ditching VM and using uh, a new term, which is $CTRL, which uh, obviously is short for controller. Like I said, they rigged the vote. <laughs> <laughs> we knew that we were never going to be able to please everyone. There were pretty strong uh, arguments in both directions, and people who were very keen on one thing or the other, and someone was always going to be unhappy. Uh, but I'd like to point out that if you read John's guide very carefully, it says you should use a consistent name for your controller, such as VM. He definitely doesn't say you have to use VM. He just offers that as a potential option. 
So we'll see how that pans out. You do have the option of changing the, uh, the name uh, when you're defining your components. So, hey, if you don't like dollars and CTRLs, then uh, you can call it an aardvark or something instead. Well, I'm well behind the movement to aardvark. So let's have a quick uh, straw poll again. <laughs> Who, uh, who's uh, unhappy about the change away from VM? No one. There we go. Uh, <laughs> I see. That's, yeah, nobody's complaining over here. Exactly. What unhappy. Yeah, there you go. Well, I, I since I'm only writing in Angular 2, I really don't think I get a vote. <laughs> it's a shame that we couldn't. We really would have liked to have removed this um, requirement altogether. Um, obviously, in Angular 2, the context of the template is the component itself, effectively like this. But because in Angular 1, we still have got scope very much in the forefront, we couldn't get rid of it altogether. You can go and look it up and see the different uh, options that were there. Um, but I, I'd like to feel that we were very fair in our decision making. Some of the other things that we've cut down, which I, I'm really pleased about, uh, one of them is a multi-slot transclusion. We already blogged about this a few months ago because it came out in one of the beta releases uh, and it had been kicking around since uh, there was actually a talk by Cara Erickson, who's just joined the Angular team, um, where she created a proof of concept for this. And it's a really nice feature where you can now select parts of your transclusion and inject them into different parts of your template. So previously to this, you would have a single transclusion and there was one ng transclude position in your template where that would all appear. But now you can specify that certain elements of the transclusion will be made available to be transcluded into different parts of your template. Now, there's nothing comparable to that in Angular 2 because the equivalent of the transclusion is the ng content. And as far as I know, there's only an ng content tag. Do you know about any variation on that? I was not aware of that. I thought that you could select different parts of content for ng content, but you're the man no, that's no, done no. most of the writing the docs, so uh, you should know better than me. Maybe there's an option. Maybe you can have multiple ng contents and you can tag them in some way, and I just don't know about it. Uh, <laughs> so I have a to-do item uh, to go find out. One action, yeah. It's pretty straightforward and angular to, to probably implement this. So it may even be that it's not needed as part of the core because it's feasible to do it fairly straightforward just using the concepts of Angular 2 in itself, which is a quite a common theme in moving from Angular 1 to Angular 2, where, for instance, in Angular 1, you have all these directives like ng-click and ng-show, whatever, uh, whereas in Angular 2, you just uh, directly access it in the DOM. So we'll see. Yeah, it's a, it's a research to-do for me to go find out. And if not, then, you know, we have a new listeners out there, there's probably an opportunity for a pull request. So yeah. I think it's a great feature, Yeah. Um, especially if you're doing things like tab panes, pop-up boxes, you know, dialog boxes, things like that. It's really nice to be able to transclude real HTML into different sections. No, it makes total sense. If it's not there, it should be there. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping I can come in back and report that it was there all along and I just didn't know about it. <laughs> yeah, so there's been a few other bits and pieces. Uh, Matthias, who's always keen to create new and wonderful things, created a, a new directive called ng-animate-swap. And this is very simple, but it provides a a really neat solution to a pretty common use case where you want to take a whole block of content and animate it away and bring in a new block of content. And that's going to be triggered by a change in, in the dot, uh, in, the, in the scope. And at the moment, if you want to animate the entire block, then you would probably have to use some kind of ng-repeat, which only has a single item. Um, so what uh, ng-animate-swap does is it gives you an ability to group all of that content into one place and then trigger an 
NG-animate transition based on, on just a single change to the scope. So I guess the, the question that lots of people have been asking is uh, what's happening about the component router? He says. He says, and yes, that's definitely something I'm hey, curious Pete, about. What's happening with the component router? Especially. Oh, I'm glad you asked. So, actually, <laughs> I don't know if you're. Well, let's set the context, though, because this is a particularly useful question with regard to how I'm going to bridge Angular 1 apps and Angular 2 apps, and it would be ideal if I had one router running the whole show. So, go ahead, tell us about it. So, the, um, the component router is uh, an interesting. From a technical development point of view, it's, it's been an interesting project because Brian, who's been working on this for uh, quite a few months now, has been given the task of creating one router to rule them all. It has to work in both Angular 1 and Angular 2 with a single code base. And if you consider the complexity of achieving that, um, he's done a fantastic job. And we're now at a point where it works for both Angular 1 and Angular 2. We wanted to release the Angular 1 version of it with Angular 1.5.0, but there were a few issues with the synchronization of the Angular 2 repository internally at Google last week. So we decided to just roll out Angular 1.5.0 as it was and uh, then spend this week getting the router in, in shape to be released. So as I'm not sure if you're aware, but Ward and I are both in uh, Mountain View this week. And so... Um, I've actually been able to spend some time with Brian, and between us, we've been uh, able to kick the tires on this thing and, and get it to a position where we're almost ready to release. I think um, if I wasn't doing podcasts, then it would probably be getting released. Well, then waste, quit wasting your time. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to type in while I'm uh, speaking to you and get it released, but um, quite sure. <laughs> So there are like two or three pull requests which are sitting waiting to be merged. Um, once those are in, I feel confident that we can actually publish the 1.0 version to NPM and people can go and start playing with it. There's definitely features that are not implemented yet. There are bound to be some bugs in there, um, but we're going to be able to flush those out as people start playing. I'm also in the process of writing a guide uh, based upon a rather nice guide which uh, a guy called Ward Bell has written. And that will be ready to uh, publish to the docs website at the same time as we release the routers. So uh, as soon as we get it all in the published queue, then we can blog about it and you can rush out and get your copy. That sounds great. Let's see, what else have you got in here? You've got some security improvement? Well, it, it, so over the last year or so, there's a, there's a group of guys in the community who are specialists in security, and they've been doing some excellent work of breaking into Angular and making it uh, fall over and so on. And they put together these excellent audits uh, and send them through to us, and we then act upon them and fix the holes as quickly as we can. Although one of them did seem to sit there waiting to be dealt with for a, a couple of months. But I'm going to put that in context in a second. So these guys, uh, including Murray Heiderich and Gareth Hayes and Jan Horn, um, have done a great job. But it's the work that they've done is often sort of hidden in the background. Uh, we don't try to sort of advertise the security concerns with Angular, certainly not until we fix them. But there's another aspect, which is Angular is actually really really secure. We've had eyes on it by the Google security team, uh, people externally, and these uh, issues that have been raised over the last few months are actually based around this thing that we call the sandbox. Now, the sandbox is really not a security feature. 
the sandbox is designed to prevent you from accidentally doing things that are going to break your code. Um, and what it does is when you're evaluating an expression on the scope, so for instance, you've got an interpolation expression like in double curlies, and you've got an expression in there, it's possible for you to execute some JavaScript code. But what we want is to prevent you from executing code that could allow people to access information that they shouldn't or to change the way that your browser's behaving and effectively triggering uh, cross-site scripting uh, exploits. So this sandbox is in place. But as it turns out, even if you can break the sandbox, the only way that you can actually undermine the security of an Angular app is if you actually allow your users to inject their content into your templates before Angular gets hold of it. So what I mean is, for instance, if you've got a CMS that's generating your page, if you allow your users to write some content which will then get put into an Angular template dynamically by your CMS, that is a security flaw. So we always recommend, and there's a page in our docs, security page, which explicitly says this, do not generate your uh, Angular templates dynamically if there's an opportunity for um, user-entered uh, content to appear there. If you don't do that, then Angular is rock solid. So uh, problems with the uh, sandbox don't actually affect you if you do not generate your templates. So in some ways, we'd rather not fix these sandbox exploits and leave them there because by fixing them, we're encouraging people to believe that they can generate content dynamically on the server and inject it into templates, which is definitely a no-no. So anyone who's out there doing this, you should go and refactor your applications immediately. But in any case, we have fixed these exploits, and you can't now break the, into the sandbox using, using the ones that are published. But it's only a matter of time before more come along, no doubt. So my message is really that uh, we've got a very secure framework that's had lots of security audits. There are awesome guys who create the most amazingly convoluted code in order to try and uh, break into Angular, who we really thank and uh, appreciate, and that you definitely shouldn't dynamically generate your templates from user-generated content, user-provided content. Right. <laughs> well, um, I create a lot of wonderfully convoluted code, I don't do it to try to break into anything. So if you want to thank me for that, please feel free. I, I, I always, I'm very pleased when people create convoluted code. It uh, provides me with fun and entertainment when I get, come to come and look at it. But we're all prone to that on occasions, aren't we? So um, given that Angular 1.5 is designed to narrow the semantic gap between Angular 1 and Angular 2, I guess there's also an issue is there now a bigger gap between Angular 1.4 and Angular 1.5? Yeah, I would want to know what's going to happen if I have an existing app and I just do my usual thing and flip the switch and now we're from 1.4 to 1.5. Can I do that and everything will still work? Or is there something to worry about? No. Well, yes. Which, 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 no to which? <laughs> I would say that as breaking change versions go, 1.4 to 1.5 is pretty minimal. Um, we've got a handful of breaking changes, maybe half a dozen. Uh, but if you actually look in the change log, you'll see that, um, first of all, m most of them do not actually impact on the core at all. So they maybe impact on um, ng-animate or uh, sanitize or um, uh, ng-route. Um, and even within those ones and the core ones, 
most of the breaking changes are, are for small corner cases, which you're unlikely to actually hit in your application. So I would be pretty confident, to be honest, of taking a 1.4 app, switching it to 1.5, and having zero breakages. What you are going to get is probably some performance improvements because we have actually improved uh, performance on Angular from Angular 1.4 to 1.5. And more importantly, you certainly get access to all of these new features that we've been talking about earlier. So I would definitely recommend people who are on the 1.4 branch to go and have a go at upgrading to 1.5. Um, it's definitely the most stable and reliable version we've ever produced. And now I can start writing in this new controller stuff. You can now start writing component-based component uh, applications. And the component helper is also streamlined to help write component router applications. So if you're using the component router when it comes out, Using the component helper to build your components is even even slicker. So you you can I'll put a, a link to a GitHub that I've been working on with an example application. You can go and look and it's a beauty to behold. If I do say so. Oh. Um, so let me ask you a non-prepared question. So I, I, if I want to use TypeScript with uh, 1.5, am I going to get the typing support and all that stuff? So there are lots of factors to when you say use TypeScript. So TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript. So there's no reason why you can't compile your code as it stands using the TypeScript provide uh, compiler. If you want to start using features of TypeScript which are not in ES5, such as classes and fat arrows and let and so on, things like these, um, you can totally start doing that. The, the only tricky bit, really, of doing that is that things like classes don't get hoisted. So although it's totally possible to create things like services and controllers as um, TypeScript classes, it's a little bit irksome and sort of unesthetic because you end up having to put the class declaration above where you would normally put it in a, in a file and the, and the actual component or the service Right, so most people, most people go app.module.something, your class, yeah. and you're saying I'd have to move that to the bottom of the file because yeah, I have to define so the class first. Like code that just doesn't look quite so attractive. And this is one of the reasons why the um, guys at NG Forward created NG, so the NG Upgraders team created the NG Forward um, project, which uh, we talked about at Angular Connect. This is one of the two big projects that we uh, kicked off to try and uh, help do migrations from Angular 1 to Angular 2, the other one being ng-upgrade. So in ng-forward, uh, they actually have plastered over all of the Angular 1 API with a whole load of annotations, automatic uh, loading of modules based on ES6-style modules. And so you end up writing code that looks very similar to Angular 2 with classes and decorators and modules. Um, but it all gets converted back into Angular 1 code. So you're writing pure Angular 1 code, but superficially it looks like Angular 2. So is ng-forward one of your uh, one of the pro official Angular projects, or is it some sideshow? So basically it's, it's written by a, a community group uh, outside of Angular, but we uh, support it in terms of we of, of all of the projects that do this kind of thing. This is the one that we think is the, is the one to use. I'm kind of in the group and we have meetings to discuss the direction it's going. One of the current developers in there is Mike Ryan, who's also been working 
I believe, with Rob on the uh, RX, MGRX mm. project. And it's really good fun to play with, actually. If you want to go TypeScript and you want to stick with Angular 1, then I think it's a really nice project to use. Well, that comes up a lot because we talk to people about how do they get ready. You know, they can't, they've got their big Angular 1 app, they can't just stop work developing it, but they would like to keep it moving forward in a way that positions it for an easier transition. And one of the things we tell them is, you know, it's helpful to start working with TypeScript and stuff like that, but uh, your sounds like NG forward, it would be a non-invasive way to push my project forward, staying in Angular 1 with making it more uh, ready when the time comes for me. Yeah, so I think there's actually two reasons to use ng-forward. One is I don't care about moving to Angular 2, but I like using TypeScript. I like decorators. I like the clarity of code that it gives me. ng-forward provides you with the ability to write your Angular 1 apps without any intention of moving to Angular 2. Mm. Um, the other is exactly what you say, where you're thinking you might like to move to Angular 2, but you want to wait for it to go to full release, and but you want to start your production app moving in that direction already. So you could start moving your code into that style um, so that when you did decide to move over it, it's not only is it semantically not a big jump, but syntactically it's pretty close as well. Um, there is a concern that maybe you're so close that you start to think that it's Angular 2 and then you get confused yourself. But I think there's a really nice sweet spot for this project out there. And I recommend people go and have a look at it. So, uh, yeah, it's been... I think there's a, there's some lots of really good stuff to get involved in in Angular 2. Uh, Angular 1.5, so... Do you... So, I'm wondering, do you have any idea on how many people are moving to or planning to move to Angular 1.5 as opposed to Angular 2? I don't have any figures. My hope would be that everyone who's Angular 1.4 right now will just move to Angular 1.5. It's a, it's almost a no-brainer in my view. The, the decision to move to Angular 2 is a much more subtle and tricky one to, to make at this point in time. Uh, in six months' time, it might be a, mu a much more straightforward decision to make. Right. But right now, if you're running an Angular 1 app, whether it's in development or even in production, I would look at moving it to 1.5. In the, in the very short term. If you're thinking of creating something that's going to be ready for production at the end of this year or early next year, I would seriously consider one um, just starting it in Angular 2. Right, a Greenfield app, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just because it's cool, it's got loads of really nice toys, and it's definitely going to be the framework to use in 12 months' time. And in the shorter term, it's going to be ready, and people will be clamoring to use it, I'm sure. <laughs> I like to think of it as more than just a coolness factor, but uh, but I hear you. I think that's, uh, coolness is, a, is, is only one of the many reasons to use Angular 2, but uh, it's one I like to think about. I'm very much a, a gut-feeling kind of developer. Right. Although the numbers are really important, I do like the aesthetic of Angular 2. It makes me feel happy to code it. And Mishko always said from day one he wanted to make developers' lives more fun and more enjoyable. Ten times less code, ten times more fun, I think was the original catch line of Angular. So one thing that's related to this then, if you want people to move to Ang or Angular 1.5 as kind of a stepping stone to Angular 2, then do you foresee people writing their Angular 1.5 in things like TypeScript? And are you encouraging things like that? Do I encourage it? Uh, I don't really have an opinion on whether you use TypeScript okay. or not for Angular 1. I think uh, I, I was saying earlier that it's totally feasible to use TypeScript and 
if you are thinking of moving to Angular 2, there's other aspects of your decision process, such as what are the skill level of my team and the different tool sets that we need to use? What tools am I actually going to be using uh, to do my build process and so on? And so in moving to Angular 2, there are going to be a number of changes, not just the code base. And so it might be that you choose to start using TypeScript with Angular 1 purely because you want to start skilling up your team. Um, so, and, for the, and I would argue for the immediate benefits that TypeScript brings, particularly to a large team trying to work on any kind of JavaScript application. Yeah, yeah. So the, the actual typing system itself and the, and the IDE support and all that stuff just changes the, the story, I think for the pace of development and particularly the coordination of number of people on a project, period. That's good. Yeah, that's a good point, Ward. So there's this Connect thing. Do you have any connection with Connect? Hold, hold on. Before we go on to that... Oh, oh, sorry. I want to chime in just a little bit about uh, Angular 1.5. Waiting very patiently to get this. <laughs> <laughs> I never look at the screen here. This is sorry, a little bit, little bit less than of a question. Just I've recently been doing a bunch of work in Angular 1.5. I wrote a little app in Angular 1.5 with Angular Fire and messed around with the component function. And I've got to say that I was greatly pleased with just how it came off and the new component function. I really like it. It's a much better to work with. And I felt like, I feel like it really clears up things. The fact that you can use components now as the source of your destination for routes. So you can route to a component, essentially. Uh, I think this just it makes a ton of sense and it makes Angular 1 even more solid for me. So I've been very pleased with it, and I think that it, it's been absolutely a joy. Oh, I'm glad that worked out for you. Because um, as I was saying at the beginning, when I've played with it, it actually is a much nicer, uh, a nice way of developing applications. So uh, I'm glad that it's the same for other people too. Um, yeah, so. I imagine you're getting a lot of very positive feedback about this. Well, we only released the full version on Friday, uh, and I think often people hold off on really starting to play around with things until until it's stabilized. So there's not been a huge amount of feedback either way at this stage, but um, I ref definitely recommend if people have got some views, either good or bad, then just please do let me know because um, we'd love to hear about it. So, yeah, um, I was just going to say that components are quite cool, but you don't have to use them. So I think uh, the nice thing about Angular 1 is that it's a progressive development. Um, you can move over to Angular 1.5 and start to use components in a small part of the app, and you don't have to do any kind of big bang migration to start getting the benefits of using well, I I feel like there was all this is always a, one of Angular One's weaknesses was the fact that it's not definitely clear about controllers and maybe ng include versus uh, directives, right? Mm -hmm. When do you how do you sub uh, modularize your application? And over time, we've seen John Papa's style guide come out and sort of guide us in a particular direction. But even from that standpoint. For me, it was always slightly ambiguous as to, should I put a controller here? You know, am I routing? I guess I mm -hmm. should put a controller as the destination for all these routes. But then do I break up my page into a whole bunch of little directives? And it always felt clunky to me because directives themselves were a little bit clunky. So I only ended, ended up using directives for very specific things, mm -hmm. right? Very reusable components. 
Whereas I think I just, maybe it's just a feel matter, but now with 1.5, if you look at it and take it from the standpoint of there are components and they're kind of the default way and you start coding that way, you very quickly realize, wow, this is really neat and clean and I no longer am wasting mental energy deciding, should I put a controller in here? Should I do an ng-include? Should I make this a directive? Should I take this bigger piece and chop it up into a smaller directives? What should I do? I think it becomes more obvious and straightforward. I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. With 1.5, if you started writing a new application, you could write your entire application without ever putting a controller, an ng controller, or an ng include in your app now. And you can even write an entire app with very little touching of the scope object directly. So these things mean that you have fewer things to think about, which I think is what Joe was was yeah. implying. You can just build your app from components. It's a much simpler model. You will still have to throw in some some more uh, sort of technical directives in there for the odd uh, the odd sort of more tricky thing. But the backbone of your application is going to be just these components, and yeah, you have fewer fewer mental cycles to focus on. Yeah, I remember people saying that you should stop writing controllers and stop using ng include, and they were sort of writing the big prohibition sign. And I was always saying. No, that's that's a terrible thing to tell people to do because there was no real easy way to write components. But now that you've introduced this feature, I would I would feel more comfortable with somebody saying, as a general rule, we we shouldn't be writing any new controller and include pairs. Absolutely, yeah. I agree with that completely. Oh, you're yeah, much I clearer think, now. Go ahead, John. I think the problem we had back in in NG one before one five was that. Everybody was like directive happy. We've had shows talking about directives where some people create directives that house directives that housed another directive and you end up with like seven layers of directive nested hell. And the reason I didn't like that pattern was not just the nesting, but directives had two big flaws in my mind. And Joe pointed them both out. One was that the DDO was a complete nightmare. Uh, and then the second was if you wanted to route to something, it's, it was hard to route to a directive. Uh, controllers kind of made that easier to deal with, but we didn't have a good way to make controllers more componentized. So I feel like in, in, in NG15, the best recommendation is, and you know, this is for being out for four days, <laughs> is to say, hey, if the promise of this holds true, we should be writing components now instead. Yeah, there's another, there's, I think, one other benefit that I've just sort of thought of that was mentioned earlier is the fact that you no longer choose, do you want an isolated scope, an inherited scope, or a shared scope? You don't have that choice anymore. It's taken away from you, which it's amazing how great, how many times in computer science taking away choices is a huge benefit. I think of it like going into a restaurant, you know, and you've got this massive menu, and then you look to the side and they have the set menu. And it says you've got three options. <laughs> just take the one of the, and then you just take the set menu, and then it's much easier, and you just get on and enjoy your meal rather than fretting that you could have chosen something that was better. <laughs> yeah, for people on the West Coast, I love Cheesecake Factory, one of my favorite restaurants. They got a menu that's like fifteen pages, and I always choose from three different options. <laughs> you know, I wrote a I wrote a generator and uh, at work, and I was telling Ward this the other day. My generator originally, the original version, had about twenty eight prompts, and what I learned quickly was that was absolutely the wrong thing to do. And then when I wrote that at work, what I followed it up with is a public one, the hot towel one that Ward and I wrote has zero questions, so that was a much better option. Well, and that's why I'm, a lot of these frameworks work as well. 
Um, I remember a talk was given by Yehuda Katz about Ruby on Rails, and he basically mentioned that the power behind convention over configuration wasn't the fact that it gave you so many options. Rather, it made the decision so you didn't have to worry about making them yourself. Yeah, but I think it's also important to remember that they, uh, there are options available as well, so that yeah. if you're you're not trapped in a one way of doing it. But you're right that the most important thing for the 90% of cases is that you're going to do the same thing over and over again, and you should streamline that for economic joy. Right, and th- think about it like the modern cars, right? So a lot of these cars now, even the ones that are manuals, they have uh, their automatics and manuals, right? So what do they do by default? They're in automatic mode. But when you want to go to manual, and maybe some drivers never do it, you can shift over there and use the pedal shifters. But I think that's a it's a growing need in the software industry is there's a lot of people who just don't need all these options. And we should just pick the best path for the 90% rule and then leave that configuration where, you know what, if you're a power user, here's how you can tweak that. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable way Plus to... Plus one on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, John, now that you're here, one of the questions we asked was about the style guide and how the new uh, component pattern might affect the style guide. Is there something you're thinking about there? Well, the number one thing is is going to be, hey, maybe now we use components instead of controllers or directives. That's the first thing I would kind of look at there. But I haven't had a chance to digest all the changes yet. I'm actually trying to upgrade a project internally at where I work, where we wrote the whole thing in 1.3, and now we want to take that and move it to 1.5. And we found one or two things that are not compatible, which I'll probably ping Peter on. But for the overall part, I'm not worried so much about the compatibility as it is. This is a massive application, and the code that this team wrote is going to be easy to test and do regression testing on for 1.5. But the concern I have is we wrote about 40 reusable Bower components, for example, or NPM components that rely on Angular. I need to support 1.3, 1.4, and 1.5. How do I, and this is just a rhetorical question for now, but how do I make sure that stuff I write, while I allow the new people to go to 1.5, the stuff that I wrote still works with 1.3? And that's one of the problems I'm having. It's not just the code, it's also the versions. Like if you install a new project with 1.5, what version strategy do I put in my packages for reusable components that I wrote? So I think there's a that's giving me a little bit of pause to upgrade 1.5, even though I'm really eager to get there, is how do I support the new people while still supporting the old ones? So are you, are you, is it that you're concerned that there is backward compatibility issues? So um... No, not, not so much as um, let's, let's say you wrote a Bower component. Let's say we're using Bower to get rid of NPM mm-hmm. and Bower. I wrote something called like my logger at my company. And that thing right now says, hey, you depend upon Angular 1.3. If I now say you can use 1.4 and 1.5 as well, what version do I put in my package to make sure that people using 1.3 still get 1.3 and people using 1.5 can get 1.5 without there ending up being like 20 of those, you know, those questions they ask on Bauer and NPM, hey, would you like to resolve this? Uh, And then they give you like 22 options and say, and make you want to shoot yourself in the head. Can you not do that with some kind of clever Semver expression? You can do uh, like 1.3 or 1.4 or 1.5 or something like that. That's kind of where we're going is more like that because we've tried like, you know, at least 1.3 or less than 1.6, but that doesn't always work. 
because it tries to be clever back and say, we'll get the one that's the minimum value that meets this requirement. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Versioning is, is a hard problem for Tal, <laughs> I guess is my point. <laughs> sure. And it doesn't help that uh, Angular 1 doesn't strictly follow Semver either because our breaking no. changes go between minor versions, whereas Semver expects them to go between major versions. Exactly. Um, What's interesting is I was talking to the Angular Material team uh, recently, and what they do with their libraries is they actually put stuff into the library that works out what version of Angular you're using and then takes advantage of things if you're using a newer version. I can't remember any specifics right now, but we were talking with them about ways of adding more metadata to Angular modules so that you could actually do a lookup on, on the module and find out exactly what's there. One thing that's interesting uh, that might be worth talking about because it is a breaking change from 1.4 to 1.5, I just remembered, is that you know we've got this module called ng-touch. Now, ng-touch was designed to help with running Angular on devices that were touch-compatible. But really, all it came down to is a bunch of really nice swipe directives and a an override on the ng-click directive, which helped with this fast-click problem. For people who don't know, uh, in order to tell whether you're actually clicking on a screen or tapping and sliding or moving things, then the operating system has to, or well, the browser has to wait 300 milliseconds before it says, yes, that was a click. And that can create such a delay that it, um, it upsets users. So um, there have been various ways around this. And the ng-click override uh, attempted to do this. But it didn't do it that well, and there were lots of problems, and it was incompatible with other ways of doing it. So there's a library called fastclick.js and so on. And what we've decided, and also there were loads of issues coming in with this, and we haven't got anyone on the team who has actually um, uh, had capacity to really work on these things. And also, we've noticed recently that browsers have actually been implementing strategies of their own to deal with this. So, for instance, I know Chrome, I think, and possibly some many of the others, if you specify certain properties in the header of your HTML file uh, to do with the viewport, then actually the, the, the click delay gets turned off anyway. So this problem is kind of going away. So what we've decided to do is that we're going to remove the ng-click override from ng-touch altogether, which leaves you with a, a very nice reusable module which contains all the swipe stuff, but it's not going to break if you want to use something like fast-click another another um, strategy for dealing with this or not to use one at all. Um, so if you're currently using ng-touch and you're relying upon this ng-click override, then you need to be aware of that. But we've got a really good write-up in the change log of, of your options and how to move forward with that. Did you, uh, John, you, uh, you were saying you wanted to ask about this or is that kind of covered what you were worrying about? Or did we just... Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I couldn't get my phone off a mute fast enough. <laughs> So, yeah, I remember in Angular 1.3, one of the problems we had was ng-touch wasn't kind of doing it all for us. So we, if I recall correctly, we had to use ng-touch. But then to get rid of the fast-click issue, we had to also include fast-click. So clicks didn't, you know, wait and delay on phones. Yeah. And then we also had to include Hammer.js because we wanted to get all the different touch on there. But then right. to make that Angular ready, we also used Angular Hammer. So we literally had to add four libraries just to do touch on right. Angular one three. Is that going to change at all with one five? I mean, it sounds like it sounds like it won't actually. From what I'm saying, is that it'll so, still be very modular? So um, 
I can't remember whether Angular Hammer provides the swipe directives. It does. If it does, then there's no reason to use ng-touch at all anymore, because ng-touch is only providing uh, some swipe directives now in Angular 1.5. So at least that means you can remove that uh, dependency from your system. Sounds like you're already uh, using FastClick to deal with that problem, in which case you won't have the concern that removing ng-touch is going to um, impact on that either. Okay, so basically now it's just pull fast clicking because that's a very and that's a very small library anyway. It just gets rid yeah. of a little millisecond delay, and then use your favorite uh, touch library. Which is Hammer still the best one you guys recommend? I don't actually know of many others that um, I've really used. Um, Hammer certainly does provide a good range of things. If you really only want to have swipe support, then you could just use the ng touch because that's now compatible with things like fast click. Um, we felt that there were people out there doing more focused work on these libraries than we had time to do, and that we wanted to focus on the on the, yeah. on the core of Angular instead. I would definitely recommend researching the up-and-coming browser support for FastClick natively, because I think it could actually remove the problem altogether. Well, it's good to hear, because there's, I mean, a lot of the apps we build, we want them to be mobile available, but they're not built for mobile, meaning... You can use them on an iPad or an iPhone or an Android, uh, but all we really care about is the touch. You know, yeah. it's not so much the swipe and the, and the pinch and the zoom and all that. So just having the ability to pull in the library, say, you know what, make clicks actually click, taps do tap, without waiting the 300 millisecond delay. I think that's the big thing most people really want. If they're building yeah. a mobile app, they'll go mobile. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely worth. Uh reading up on that because I think that if you've got an app that doesn't require pinching and zooming then you can completely remove all the fast click stuff now. Awesome. And uh, if you look in the change log and go to the ng-touch breaking change section there's a link through to an article about how the browser support is improving. Alright, we've been talking about this for about an hour. Is there anything else that we really ought to cover before we wrap up? Well, I wanted to ask you about uh, Angular Connect which is you're the leader of, is it, right? Well, I'm not the leader, but we have a, a group of us. There are three, three developers, Ed, Josh, and I. And we work with um, a wonderful woman called Ruth who has a, a small event company called White Top Tape. And together we, we sort of put this conference together last year. And we're very uh, happy to be running it again this year in uh, September. I wanted to say, actually, we've just released or opened up the call, call for papers. So we're already uh, interested in hearing if people want to give talks. I appreciate that at this point in time, um, it's still some way off until that conference and that there's probably going to be some pretty exciting talks coming out as Angular 2 gets closer to full release and people start using it more in, in Angular and in production. So um, we're going to have a really long period of CFP. Um, but if you've got some interesting ideas for uh, a talk, then do get them in now because uh, we're really keen to start looking through building up the program. We've got some, we, this year we decided to challenge ourselves and one of the ways that we wanted to improve the conference from last year was uh, to increase the accessibility in the conference because I think we it's so easy to forget that sometimes it's hard to attend a conference if, if you, for instance, uh, are hard of hearing or hard of sight. Hard of sight? It's not really a valid term. Um, Visually impaired, I think, visually sometimes impaired, yeah. the because, euphemism. Because, you know... Uh, or if you're verbally impaired like we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Ooh, I got a bad Especially case Especially if you're trying to yeah, give a speech and you're verbally impaired. That's pretty bad news. So one of the things that we're doing this year is uh, we're going to be having a live captioning of all of the talks. So we've been uh, talking with a company that has some crazy guy who sits there with one of these stenograph machines and literally types in everything that everyone's saying in real time. And that'll be displayed up on a screen. And also, uh, we're hoping it's going to be added directly to the live stream on YouTube as well. Uh, Naomi uh, in the Angular team used to work on this. And so she's given us some contacts on how we can actually inject that straight into the live stream. So, um, and I think this is also useful for people who are non-native English uh, speakers as well, because sometimes especially if you've got lots of different accents, it's difficult to sort of keep up with what's going on. So um, being able to look at a stream of uh, text as well is quite helpful. Um, so that's one of the areas. Um, we're also going to have um, a closed loop hearing loop uh, system in place for people who are hard of hearing uh, to wire up their hearing aids to the system so they can get a much better uh, sound coming through to them. Um, so these are the kinds of things that we're looking at this year to try and uh, make make the conference more available to everyone in the community rather than just the, the majority of people. Um, so if anyone's got other ideas about how we can improve the accessibility of the conference, then uh, then please get in touch because we're really keen this year to try and make it the most accessible conference yet. So yesterday you were talking to me about a different flavor of accessibility. Namely, you really want to emphasize a, a feature that you brought out in the conference last year that was uh, sort of people didn't recognize how valuable it was, which is to hold this sort of talk with the experts kind of thing where, where people are really talking to each other about a particular topic of interest with, with the, one of the conference speakers and really go deep uh, uh, into an area and really talk to each other and share ideas and see the code appear on the screen. Maybe I just said what you were going to say, but do you, but you, you, you know, this is a, a, a feature of conferences that uh, you don't see a lot. So we, um, when we devised Angular Connect in the first place, the reason we called it Angular Connect was that we felt that what was really important was bringing people together to actually connect, communicate, to get to know each other, to share information. I've just been reading a book, which is going to be in my picks later on, uh, uh, which mentions this group that used to be called the Homebrew Club, who were based in California, uh, I believe. And these uh, geeks would come together and share all of their cool bits of kit that they've been building and software that they've been writing and help each other out. And I think sometimes when you have a high-profile project with, with well-known speakers, it can be a bit intimidating, and, and you tend to sit there and try and absorb everything, but it's hard to actually interact with them. So we wanted to try and create a space in Angular Connect as a conference itself where everyone can share their information and everyone can get something out of it. And so um, last year what we did was this thing that we call AMA, Ask Me Anything Sessions. And they were extremely successful for the very small number of people who went to it. But I think we didn't do a very good job of advertising and marketing this feature of the conference. So everyone was very focused on going and listening to the talks, but the talks were all recorded and you could go and listen to them later on YouTube. Um, what wasn't recorded was the opportunity to go into a room with a very small number of people, like uh, tens of people, and have a direct contact with core Angular developers, really senior, experienced developers from all around the industry, uh, from places, from really top uh, companies and um, who were doing really cool things with Angular and computing in general. And the people who did go into those 
uh, AMA sessions came out saying what an amazing experience it was because they, they were able to ask questions that were specific to their own issues. They were able to really uh, engage and pass on ideas of their own to the people. And we wanted to try and build on that this year and make it even more important. So one of the things that um, we're going to slightly rebrand the AMAs, try and give them uh, a bit more importance. So uh, as well as having the two main tracks, which are going to still be uh, presentation style, we're going to sort of give the AMAs almost a track feeling of themselves. So we're going to give it the same importance. And one of the things that we're going to do is encourage the speakers not to just have panel Q&As, but maybe be a bit creative. Uh, we're going to offer out a smaller number of um, slots and we're going to encourage them maybe to do sort of micro workshops or little hands-on demos or um, something that's not just about them talking. And I, I guess to some extent this has been um, inspired also by the fair day that we're going to be hopefully getting at uh, NGConf that's coming up soon. From my understanding of it, this is also a situation where we're going to try and bring together the experts with the people in a much more sort of hands-on, direct contact kind of way. So the ideas that from NGConf are being sort of cross-fed back into Angular Connect, and I'm definitely getting, well, I'm hoping to be there at NGConf, and so I'm going to be looking very carefully at how it goes and extracting the best bits from that. So when you come to Angular Connect, you can expect not only really high-quality content, but um, to actually really engage personally yeah people engage with the the top people but also you know engage with the other attendees Absolutely. who are all you know using angular day to day have got stories of their own um, and if people come away from angular connect saying i made some new contacts i found out some new stuff even if they didn't learn anything by actually listening to the presentations if they met someone that gave them an idea then i'd be happy that they've done that we've done a good job as a conference provider so uh, yeah if anyone's got other ideas to do with that then do get in touch with us as well well i think that's a good segue into picks because my pick is going to be angular connect <laughs> all right ward go ahead start us off with picks that was my pick go to angular connect go to ngconf if you can get in go to angular connect fly to london it'll be a great time yeah, I'm pretty sure we're all planning on being at NGConf. I'm hoping to get to Angular Connect this year, but we'll have to see. Yeah, let's just be honest. If you don't already have your tickets to NGConf, it's probably not going to happen. So in, in right. G, Angular Connect's the way to way to go at this point. I, I know that um, we always try to put the last few. There's a few tickets that are held out for speakers and staff. We always try to put the last few tickets on sale, but nobody should be holding their breath for something like that. Unless your company you're, is seriously, you're so to mean, Joe. Why don't you? Why don't you let everybody come? <laughs> I really, really wish. I mean, it was a really big deal for us just to double the attendance this year because what you don't want is a conference that has fifty thousand people. And I think that um, we were validated in what we did because Angular Connect. What was your attendance this last year, Pete? We we actually had about a thousand attendees. Yeah, um, all in, including speakers and sponsors and so on. So that's like fifty percent bigger than Angular than NGConf was year one years one and two, and I didn't feel like I was lost in a sea, right? So mm -hmm. that, for me, that was really nice to go to Angular Connect and feel still like I had the same. And I think the AMA is really were a big part of that. But nice. Yeah, so, so, you tell, so you tell me, Joe, did uh, your ideas for the fair at mm -hmm. NGConf? I'm still kind of a little bit vague about that. Is there going to be like a set? 
way that it's going to work, or is each uh, speaker or uh, fair provider going to be uh, making up their own thing? How, how's it going to work? So I'll try not to give away too many details before oh, is it it's secret? solidified. Okay. It's, it's not so much that it's secret, it's just a lot of details haven't been solidified. We know what the main feel and point is, and so I can definitely give clarity on that, but we're still lining up like what are all the different things that will be going on. But it's not so much, it's definitely not the whole is speakers will make up their own things. It's we will have exist. Imagine more like it's a little bit, it'll feel a little bit more like a multi-track conference where there's a bunch of things going on simultaneously and you'll have to choose from a lot of different activities what you'll want to do in any given moment. Some of them will be entertainment fun type related activities and some of them will be the vast majority of them will be educational. And I think it's definitely an iteration or inspired by the AMAs where we the goal here is if there's more people at the conference, we want to give them more opportunity to connect with the people that um, they care about and want to talk to. So a lot of it will be centered around speakers and Angular team being available in places for people to talk to. I can tell you one thing that will be going on is there will be a room that will be uh, labeled the Tour of Heroes room. The Tour of Heroes, if nobody knows, or for those of you who don't know, was written entirely by John Papa and uh, curated by Ward Bell, the two... Our two brilliant uh, Angular 2.0 documentarians here. It's the tutorial for Angular 2. It's the kind of the long multi-step tutorial that you can go through to teach yourself Angular 2, kind of get your your feet wet, so to say. And there's a room where people will be able to go in and walk through that tour of heroes, and there will be people in that room who will help you out whenever you get stuck. And John Papa will probably be in that room for at least some of the time. And I don't know if that so I don't know the details about if that room will be open all day long on Faraday or only for a certain time, or we'll have set sessions. You show up at a certain time and you walk through the tour of heroes with a bunch of other people and there's somebody up maybe trying to lead or whatever. But that, for example, is one of the things we go on going on. That's great to hear because I've been trying to figure out how to finish that tutorial and I need somebody <laughs> to help me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'd, I'd like. I think I'll be in that room. I'd like to be there. That sounds like really lots of fun. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the kind of thing we're going to try to get experts in rooms where people can go and learn from the experts, and it'll be a lot. It'll be different than just a session. Of course, there will be two days of sessions, but we also want a place where people could go and get a little bit different uh, information or information in a different way than we typically see at conferences. And I think that you guys are obviously arriving at the same thing with you, what you want to do with AMAs. Well, we, yeah, so we're definitely uh, keeping an eye on what's going on at NGConf because what you guys do will definitely influence us. Um, we're still very much in the planning stage, um, but all of the principles that we've been talking about, the philosophy of bringing people together is the, is the driving force behind it. So that's cool. Right. So, yeah, go and check out the website, angularconnect.com. All right. Joe, since you've been talking, what are your picks? All right. Well, I obviously want to pick Angular Connect as well uh, because I ha I did go last year and did have a great time. And like I said, look for that. I, I don't know when tickets will be going on sale, but when they do, jump on them because you can expect it to sell out like it did last year. And NGConf tickets are pretty much gone. So unless your company is going to sponsor or you uh, get selected as a speaker, then that ship is pretty much sailed. But they're always next year. Uh, I also want to pick a interesting recording artist I just heard about Sarah Blasco, B-L-A-S-K-O. Been listening to her a little bit. She's kind of in the same vein as maybe Adele or 
you know, sort of melodic and sonorous, uh, but fun music to listen to. And finally, I was inspired by our discussion at the beginning of this episode about what are people, you know, the question to Ward or to Pete, which was, are more people going to upgrade to 1.5 or to 2.0? So I put together a SurveyMonkey survey that I'm going to link in the show notes that for anybody who's out there who's got an Angular 1X app and they are considering or not considering upgrading it, please head over to the survey, fill it out. I think it would be cool to get a bunch of responses and see what people are planning on doing with their Angular 1.4, 1.3, whatever apps. All right, John Papa, what are your picks? My pick is uh, I'm going to go with another conference called Angle Brackets. If you guys want to learn about modern web technology, there's a conference called Angle Brackets, and it's in Orlando, right on Disney World property, actually, in April. And Dan Wallin and I will be holding two days of workshops uh, with Mr. Ward Bell. So if you want to learn from me, Dan, and Ward, come to that uh, show, come to our workshop, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. I'll put a discount code up on the uh, website so you can actually uh, get in there. Awesome. I'm going to throw out a couple of quick picks. Um, I'm going to be at ng-conf. I'm also planning on being at ng-nl. By the time this goes out, it'll probably be either over or the day of. Anyway, I have some little... I, I like giving stuff away, so I've given stickers away for a long time. I still have stickers to give away. But... Um, I ran across these other things that are kind of cool knickknacks to give away. The box got here today, so I'm going to be taking a box full of these little uh, knickknacks with me. And what they are, are they're actually, they call them uh, eye pocket loop. And what they are, are they're a way of wrapping up your earbuds so they don't get tangled up in your pocket. And so it's this wheel, and it's got slots on one side, and it's smooth on the other. And it says Adventures in Angular on it. And uh, it has a hole in two ends of the wheel, so you stick the plug for your earbuds into that hole, and then you wrap it around, and then you just put your earbuds into the slot when you run out of uh, cord, and it keeps it wrapped around there really neatly and fits nicely in your pocket. So if you want one of those Coolio things, you can find me at one of the conferences. I don't imagine I'll give them all away in Amsterdam, so I'm sure I'll have some for NGConf um, and Angular Connect as I get there. So, yeah, so that's my pick. Um, I would also promote a conference, but Angular Remote Conf isn't until September or October. Uh, you can check it out, angularremoteconf.com. But, yeah, and Call for Proposals is open because it opens the second I put the conference page up. So, anyway, uh, go check that out as well. And, uh, Peter, what are your picks? Cool. So, I've got um, one interesting techie one which uh, came up on an issue on Angular last week. So there's this thing called sub-resource integrity, um, and it's a new um, browser feature, which is, uh, I think, pretty much agreed between the manufacturers. And this is the security feature for people downloading files from CDNs. Um, so the, problem, the concern is, here's the exploit. If someone managed to hack a CDN, they could input, they could basically replace the jQuery.js file or the Angular.js file that you're downloading onto your computer, onto into every browser that your um, your web app uses, um, with something which is going to be malicious and potentially do nasty things. So this API or this um, browser feature allows you to specify a hash, a uh, shard like a hash of the file, 
so that when the file gets downloaded from the CDN, the browser checks it against the hash. And if it doesn't match up, then it won't run that script. And I think this is a really nice uh, feature and a pretty simple one to implement. So um, we're going to add that to Angular. Uh, we're going to basically publish shards for each of the uh, distribution files. So you can actually add those to your script tags to make sure that you're definitely getting the, uh, the file that you thought you were getting. I'll put a link up to the Mozilla website where there's some information about that. I think it's worth looking at and adding it. Um, there are two more things. One is a really cool book that my son, who's only nine, bought me for Christmas. I don't know how he chose it. It was completely off his own back. But um, it's a book called Hackers by Stephen Levy or Levy. And uh, it was written in the 1990s, but it's absolutely fantastic. It's, uh, it's a historical overview of computer hackers from about the 1950s through to the 1990s. And, it, and he's just extracted all of these wonderful anecdotes about these very charismatic and sometimes idiosyncratic characters who drove forward uh, hacking computers from mainframes through to home computers over the last sort of 30, 40 years. And I've just been completely transfixed by this book, and I recommend everyone reads it. It's very inspiring if you if you're getting a bit low on your hacker energy to go and read this. And the last thing is something actually that my wife forwarded to me uh, this morning. She's a lawyer, and I don't know if she was reading the uh, service terms for the Amazon Web Services uh, website or whether it was one of her colleagues. But uh, I recommend you go and read clause 57.10 of the Amazon Web Services service terms. I think you'll be uh, pleased that you did. And I'll put a link up to that uh, as well. All right. Well, if people want to find out more about what you're up to, Peter, or find out more about Angular Connect or Angular 1.5, what do they do? Uh, so I do have a Twitter account, which I'm slowly starting to um, generate more content from. I've been pretty poor at that over the last few years. Um, so you can come follow me. It's PPD. Uh, it's my Twitter handle. You can even just email me directly. I'm very uh, accessible. So Pete at BaconDarwin.com is always a good place to get me. I promise I'll reply. And follow us on AngularConnect.com. Go to GitHub for AngularJS. Lots of, lots of ways of getting through. All right. Well, thank you all for coming. We'll go ahead and wrap up the show, and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 